Thank you, Riley and Ryan. And and I think it's an appropriate time to just say a huge thank you to everyone that's been involved in putting on Kids TV. You guys do an amazing job. I've had the, the great privilege of sitting down and watching that with my kids. And, and really, is there ever an arena of life or a context of life where bloopers aren't just awesome? <laughs> So thank you, Kids TV, for providing those as well. I am so glad that you could be gathered here with us today for our services. And my prayer is today that wherever you're joining us from, you would know something of God's presence right in the room that you're in. Or if you're going for a walk or wherever you are, that you would know something of God's presence. Now, it is so good to be here. My name's Phil, and I'm part of the team here at True North. And it's my my great privilege today to bring some encouragement from God's Word to hopefully enlarge your sense of who you are. You know, something I believe so passionately about who God is, about who Jesus is, is that He is always working towards renewal. Renewal in me, renewal in you, renewal in our world. That the very heart of God is to make things that are old, new again. To make things that were dead, alive again. This is captured, of course, in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's what the life of faith is all about as we are renewed more and more by who Christ is in us. You know, one of the things that I love when I read stories in the Bible and I, I see these, these moments around these great individuals, guys like Abraham or Moses or, or Elisha or David or whoever it might be, they're, they're, there's moments in their life where God calls them to something new. For someone like Moses, it was Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt and I need you to set my people free. That God calls them to something new. Or in the case of Abram, who would become Abraham. So Abram, you're going to become a great nation that will bring blessing to the entire world. God calls them to something new. And what you see time and time again through all of these great stories in Scripture is that there is often a moment where God will do something very specific in that individual's life and He will renew their identity. He will enlarge their sense of who they are. He will restore their sense of who God created them to be in the first place. That God is in the business of renewal in the space of identity. You know, I want to speak this morning into this idea of identity renewed, a renewing of identity. Now, to help give us a framework to even begin to to take hold of a shared language around what identity even is, because it's such a broad concept and a broad idea to say, who am I? What kind of things do we attach to that? What levers do we pull on to get a sense of who we are or who someone else is? Now, what I want to do to be... to to begin with here this morning is uh, I want to show you a a picture and and draw something for you here. And it's uh, it's going to provide hopefully a framework for identity for us. So let's uh, let's have a look at this. I'm going to do my best uh, to draw this well without any really pronounced spelling errors. But for any English teachers here, please forgive me. Uh, So let's have a look at this. When we think about our identity, the place of the self, we begin with this idea of actual self. That's a bit of a messy circle. Let's see if I can fix that up a little bit here. Oh, it's not doing the autocorrect. Okay, we'll try it on the next circle. You're going to love it. So we have actual self. And this idea of actual self is is who we really are, who we truly are, our personality, our characteristics, our tendencies, our our strengths, our our weaknesses, our failures, our successes. This is the, the true, I guess, picture in one sense of who we are. But when it comes to identity, 
It's shaped by more than our actual self. And we need to add something else to this puzzle. What do you reckon? Should we choose a green? Let's go with a green here. And we also have working alongside our actual self is something else, which we're going to call our per I before E except after G. What's that E? We have our perceived. See what I did there? Just perceived self. Now let's try this thing again here. Let's, I don't like that circle. Can we? Oh, I'm too jittery. Okay, so we have, the, we have the perceived self that works alongside the actual self. And what we'll actually find is that for most of us, there is a degree of distance between our actual self and our perceived self. So who we actually think we are, who we believe we are, what we think we're like, what we think our capabilities are, what we think our limits are, what we think we have the capacity to achieve. There's often a difference and a gap between who we actually are and how we perceive ourselves. Are you following me so far? Okay, now let's take this to another level here. And I think we'll go with any preference to colour. If you've got any preferences to colour, put them in in the comments. I'll, I'll try to follow them here. But in lieu of no suggestions, let's go with a blue. That's a nice, strong colour. And then over here, so we have the actual self, the perceived self. And then there's something else that we need to add to this overarching picture of our identity. And that is the presented self. Now, I'm really committed to getting this circle autocorrect right here. I, you know what I need to do? Yeah! There it is. Thank you, high tech, getting it done. Now, what we'll find as well is that between our actual self and our presented self, there's going to be a similar gap. And now this is one we can relate to really quickly because there's a truth for all of us that we want to be able to put our best foot best foot forward when it comes to engaging with other people in community. That we want to over-exaggerate our positive qualities and we want to under-exaggerate our negative qualities. And we want to come off as best as we can. Now, as a result of that, there's also a gap between our presented self. Let me try something else here. Yeah, check this out. Anyway between our presented self and our actual self. And likewise, there's also a gap between our perceived self and our presented self. So as we begin to consider our, our identity, you've got these three foundational aspects of who we are, who we actually are, who we think we are, and who we pretend to be. You following me with this? Now, what happens is when these three aspects of our own identity are really far apart, what we actually have is a weak view of who we are. We have a weak view or a low understanding of who we actually are, a low understanding of our own identity. Now, what we want to aim to do is bring these three aspects of who we are as close together as we possibly can. And when these three aspects of who we are come close together, what we get is a unified self or a true self. Go magic circle. No, it's not going to do it for you. <laughs> but there's, there's a picture for us that as we, as we have those three arenas of, of self and who we are, 
that the, the aim of growing into a strong sense of personal identity is for these three aspects of who we are to become as close together as they possibly can. Now, individuals who live their lives with a close sense of these three spheres of self really tightly knit, tightly knit together have a really strong sense of who they are. They have a real strength of, of what they're capable of, what they're not capable of, and they have a real security in that as well. You know, these are the kind of people that whenever you see them, whatever context they're in, more or less, they're exactly the same. They're the kind of people that respond well to the challenges of life because they have an absolute foundation and security about who they are. Now, with this picture in mind, something that I love about who God is and His work of renewing in the place of self is that who Christ is and what He has done actually creates a point of anchor in the middle of those three spheres that brings us together to a unified self based on who He is. That's the invitation of the life of faith, is to now have a new, a new identity defined at a centre point, that is Jesus. And when there's a new identity defined at the centre, the actual self, the perceived self, the presented self, they all come together tightly around who Jesus is. You know, I want to give you a picture of this in Scripture. I actually want to take two passages where a father renews or confers his identity upon the son. Now, the first one we're going to take a look at, and, uh, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17 here. And this is a story that, that in some of your Bibles will be talked about as the transfiguration of Jesus. This incredible moment where Peter, James and John go with Jesus up onto a mountain and they experience something truly miraculous. Elijah and a Moses appear alongside Jesus and the disciples just struggle to process what's happening. Peter pipes up and says, Jesus, should, should we build a shelter for the three of you? And then as the disciples are struggling to process the miraculous picture that stands before them, and as Jesus becomes transfigured into more a picture of His true godliness as the Son of God, the Father speaks words of identity upon the Son. Listen to this. While He was still speaking, Peter talking about his um, huts that he wanted to build, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said this. This is God the Father speaking identity upon the Son. He says this, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. And then finally, listen to Him. Now in this passage of Scripture, the Father is conferring identity upon the Son. Now, what I want to do here, because we can take this and say, yeah, sure, Phil, this is a picture of God the Father speaking to the Messianic Son. Of course, He's speaking in these incredible words of affirmation and, and strength as He speaks over the life of the Son. But I want to show you something else in the life of Jesus, because what Jesus does is takes the identity of the Father that's not just for Himself, but then confers it upon all people that put their faith in Him. Jesus tells a really powerful story to illustrate this idea that the identity that God has isn't just for the messianic son, but it's for all of us that become children of the most high God. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And it's a story of a, of a, of a son who takes his inheritance early. It's disrespectful to his father. He goes off and blows all his money, makes a large sequences of really bad life choices. And he gets to a point, he's like, my life is crazy messed up. I got to go back home. 
And he actually realises in himself that he's made these bad choices. He says, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to be a son anymore. I don't deserve to be a son anymore. But maybe I can just go and work for my dad. Maybe I can work for him and, I can, I, and that's going to be a better experience of life. So he heads home and, and desiring, you know, I've, I've blown it as a son. I'm not a son anymore. I, I'm something else. I'm just going to work for my dad and, and get by. And then as the son arrives at the household of the father, something really powerful happens. And again, identity is conferred in a similar way to the father does to the son on the mountain of the transfiguration. Let's listen to this next passage. And this one comes to us from Luke 15. And we're gonna start in verse 22. So the son arrives at the household of the father. He says, dad, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore, but can I, can I just work for you? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He's overjoyed, he's excited. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. It's like pretty first century, but it's about party and celebration and joy. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So how's God speaking into the space of identity through these two passages? Through this experience in the life of Jesus and then how Jesus confers that same blessing of identity upon all people that put their faith in him. I want to take you to the very first statement. And it says this, this is my son. This is my son. And the symbols echoed in the story of the prodigal. It says, put a ring on his finger. Put a ring on his finger. Now the original hearers, when Jesus told this story, they understood that that ring was a signet ring that it carried a seal and that seal was a marker of identity and that marker of identity was that of the father. So in both of these moments, in the historical moment of Jesus upon the mountain where God declares, this is my son and in the parable of the prodigal son where Jesus communicates how we too relate to the father, it's this same statement of identity. You find your identity in the context of who I am as your father that the son finds his identity in the context of the majesty of the father. And so true for each one of us that we find an anchoring marker of identity when we understand and we place our faith in the reality that who we are most powerfully is defined by who he is. And when we take hold of that as a centering reality, you know what it begins to do? It begins to decrease the distance between the actual self and the perceived self. That there's a new security. So no longer do I think that I lack capacity. No longer do I think that I'm, I'm tripped up and held back by my mistakes. But now I can begin to see that my identity is in the Father. And now there doesn't have to be a distance between God, who God created me to be and who I think I am that I don't need to present myself as someone different either because now my identity is grounded not in myself, not what I can be, not how good I can look, but simply who my father is. The statement of identity, the son finds his identity in the context of the majesty of God. I find my identity in the context of the glory of God the Father. You too, when you place your faith in Jesus, can begin to see yourself as God sees you. You know, as a side note, I think the most powerful thing that followers of Jesus can do is help other people to see themselves as God sees them, as dearly loved, as created with, with, with beauty, with strength, with purpose. You know, that's so much of what Alpha's about is simply helping people to journey towards seeing themselves as God already sees them. So what does the Father say next? 
says, this is my son whom I love, whom I love, this statement of love. And as I hear that statement and I picture God saying it to me, I can almost imagine it like a robe of security coming over my shoulders. And that's exactly how Jesus describes it in the passage of the prodigal son. The father says, quick, get the best robe, place it upon him, wrap him up in an expression of my love. He needs to know that he is secure and that security comes from the knowledge of how deeply loved he is by me. Can I remind you this morning that God the Father loves you so deeply, even though sometimes you can't see it, even though sometimes you can't feel it or even wrap your head around it, you are dearly loved by God. You know, one of the things that I love about identity, and as we begin to to take shape in this anchoring truth of who God calls us to be, we also get to start asking the question, how to do I confer identity upon other people? How do I build positive identity in the people in my life? You know, I think there's, a, there's an incredible opportunity as parents to reflect on this question. You know what God is doing when He says, this is my son whom I love. What the Father's doing when He wraps him up in that cloak of security. Through a demonstration of love, He provides emotional security. And emotional security will always build positive identity. When you think about that gap between the actual self and the presented self, you know why sometimes we want to present ourselves as something completely different to who we are? Because there's an absence of security and who God created us to be. You know, we can actually become the kind of people that build emotional security in people. So there doesn't have to be such a gap between the presented self and the actual self that there can be a confidence in who God created each one of us to be. You know, I really believe, and and in fact, I'd love, if you're a dad here listening this morning, I'd love to speak to you directly for just a moment. So I believe that that one of the most powerful things dads can do, and this illustrates this whole idea of, of providing emotional security. So one of the most powerful things we can do as dads is provide emotional security for our children. Here's a question to reflect on. How do your kids know that you love them? Are your kids growing up with a sense that there's that wrapping up of security that comes from the way that you love your kids? Do you think your kids know that they're loved by you? How are you showing your kids that you love them deeply? Can I tell you, if we don't have as dads an answer to those kind of questions, we need to build them into our lives very quickly. You know, one of the other things that I think about in my journey of fatherhood, and I think this is really helpful when it comes to creating a household of emotional security. We want our kids to grow up with a positive sense of self and identity. We recognise that providing emotional security as the father does to the son. One of the most powerful ways that we can do that is to stop being emotional thermometers and start being emotional thermostats. So dads, when we get home from work, Our kids are tired. Maybe you've got little ones, maybe you've got bigger ones. Now, kids famously aren't particularly emotionally stable at times. Now, the tendency is, and I don't speak this because I've read it in a book, I've speaked it because this is a lived reality in me. The tendency is that we try to match the emotions to resolve whatever's happening. It's the most obvious thing to do. It's the easiest thing to do. That if there's high, angry, rude emotions, 
That as a dad, one of the things we can do, yep, I'm an emotional thermometer. I can match this. I understand this emotion, anger. Yeah, I can do that. I can go there. Now, what happens over years if that's the consistent, if that's the consistent approach as a father? What are we doing to the emotional security of our household? We want our kids to grow up with emotional security. So that needs to be modelled by adults who have the agency to display that. So I want to be an emotional thermometer a whole lot less. And I want to be an emotional thermostat that changes the culture of my home to represent more who God is inviting my children to become, who God is inviting your children to become. You know, dads, one, one last thing. In the, the next month, we're going to be launching a fatherhood course here at True North. And it's just a space to have these kind of conversations. How can we become great as men where it matters most in the lives of our children? So keep your ear out for that. And I want to encourage you as the info starts coming through for that, that, that we're going to have some great conversations and grow in this as fathers. So God, He wants us to know how deeply loved we are. He wants us to be people as well that confer identity through the way that we love one another. Here's the final thing. Sorry, the second final thing. The, the Father says, first in the passage in Matthew, with him, I am well pleased. Just these massive words of affirmation. So, so he's kind of speaking here to Peter, James and John who are there alongside Jesus. And he's saying, see this right here. See, see this son, see Jesus, see every aspect of who he is. I am so pleased with who he is. It's incredible words of affirmation. And again, the, the symbolic imagery is mirrored in the passage of the prodigal as the, the father overjoyed throws this party because he is so pleased that his son is there. He throws a party to affirm that he is a son in the household of the father. You know, words of affirmation build positive identity in such incredible ways. Now, I don't know if it's a, if it's a Perth thing, if it's a WA thing, it's an Australia thing, or if it's like the whole world thing. But I think sometimes we're not really good at giving constructive, powerful, identity building words of affirmation from a place of depth that builds into who people are. It doesn't happen maybe as often as it should. You know, in fact, one of the places where we probably see it in the most pronounced way and with the most clarity affirming someone's life is at their funerals. And I love that, that beautiful way to grieve and recognise a life lived well. But those kinds of words of affirmation need to be spoken over people's lives. And you know what affirmation does? True affirmation that comes from a place of depth. It's not light and fluffy or just general whatever, but a real call of affirmation. It shortens the gap powerfully between the actual self and the perceived self. So those words of affirmation pull someone closer to who God created them to be so they can understand the power and the beauty that God created them with. You know, I think one of our goals in life is to have no unspoken words of affirmation. You know, have you ever had those moments when you've reflected on something that someone's done and you're like, that was awesome. And you think about it, and you're like, man, that was so good. And then you never tell them about it. <laughs> you might even tell other people about it. Man, did, like, that was amazing. You know, over the past year, I've seen a young guy in our church. 
He's actually playing drums this morning. And Joseph Carkeesh, if anyone that knows you, Joseph, I think he's around somewhere. He was playing drums, so he must be. Uh, but even I was looking, I was following along on YouTube, like, like many of you. And there's a comment on there, just like shout out to the enthusiastic young drummer. So can we shout out to the enthusiastic young drummer and fist bump that if you're on the comments section. But, but here's something in me, right? Again, this is, I read a book, this is learned realities about who I am. For like over 12 months, I've been watching Joseph and I've been watching him lead our church in worship. Not when he plays drums, when he's on the front row praising God, seeking the presence of God. There's been Sunday mornings when I turn over to our youth pastor, John, and I'm like, John, God is doing something in that kid's life. God is doing something in that kid's life. And then I haven't thought to say anything to Joseph. And I've let that go on for months and months. So Joseph, wherever you are right now, wherever you're watching from, if you're in this building, if you're in the green room, if you're on your phone, or if you're all three of those, Listen to this, God does something powerful in the lives of those that truly worship Him. And you, my friend, are a worshipper. Never stop pursuing the presence of God. Thank you for inspiring me to seek the presence of God as we praise Him together. We've got to stop leaving words of affirmation unspoken. Because when we speak out words of affirmation, you know what I reckon we're probably doing a whole bunch of the time, especially in the context of church, is we're probably giving the words of affirmation that God wants spoken into somebody's life. So we can't leave those words unspoken anymore. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I make that statement. I hear the words of one of our, our team and pastors here, Lisa Gretzky. If you think it, thank it. I was going to try to do the, the accent, but I knew it wouldn't be good, but... <laughs> If you think it, thank it. No unspoken words of affirmation in your life. Do not let the most powerful words of affirmation you say to your parents, to your children happen at their funeral. Do not let that happen. Form who they are in the context of who he is and what he's doing in you. Here's the last thing. The father gives one final phrase to the son and the band's gonna come and join us. We're gonna sing an awesome song, Who You Are, in a moment. And he says this simply, listen to him. Listen to him. He's saying to Peter, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is a life worth recognising. This is a life worth following. This is a, this is a life, I was going to say, this is a wife worth listening to. If you have a wife, she is worth listening to. Let's just affirm that as well. To all the wives watching, you're like, yep, yeah, he said it. Wives, we're worth listening to. I wrote it down. It's here. It says the son has a life that's powerful. Listen to him. Now what the father is doing is affirming the agency, the capacity, the ability of the son. Now, likewise, in the story of the prodigal, and when you go back to that, that picture of the ring, that, that the signet ring, it didn't only carry the identity of the father, but it carried the authority of the father, the agency of the father, the capacity of the father. So that now the son, who at the start of this passage is confused even about who he is, I'm not a son anymore, I'm not your son, I'm just gonna come work for you. He says, no, you carry my identity. You carry my authority. And in God, there's this sense of empowered identity. 
that who God creates us to be are people who have lives that are worth following. And this is what God is saying to us. You, who I created you to be, is to have a voice that will bring my grace, my gospel to the world that you're living in, that would bring it to your workplaces, to your schools, to your households. Your life is important. Your life has value. People are listening to you and they should be because I've created you to make a difference. This is what the Father speaks over the Son. This is what the Father gives to the prodigal. It says, you carry my authority. Your life is amazing. Sure, there's been some mistakes, there's been some hiccups, but let me remind you, it's not those things that define you, it's who I am that defines you. It's not the mistakes of yesterday that bring definition to your life anymore and rob you of who you created to be through this broken perception of self that Jesus says, no, that nonsense doesn't define you anymore. Who I am defines you. My Father defines you. So this morning, I want you to place your faith in the truths of these Scriptures that say your identity is anchored in Him. You are loved by Him. He is pleased with who you are and speaks affirmation over your life, no matter what has been. And he says that your life matters. Your voice matters. People need to listen to who I created you to be. Take hold of your identity in Christ and be a person that out of that builds Christhood in others, builds the identity of the fullness of who God is to create people who understand that they were always created by God. Yeah, I wanna pray for you this morning. And then we're gonna sing this song together. It's gonna remind us of who God is. And as we sing that, I want you to reflect, God, remind me of your love. Remind me of the identity that I have in you. Let me pray for you. God, I wanna thank you for every person that's watching here in this moment, Lord. God, I wanna thank you that your Holy Spirit in ways that we can't understand is present in every individual's room, in every moment, in every space. God, I pray that you would speak today and that for each one of us, you would renew and anchor our identity in who you are. And God, I pray that also in whatever context of our lives, as parents, as friends, as part of a church community, that we would be people that positively impact the identity of one another to take us closer to who you are, Jesus. God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray renewed identity over every person here this morning. May we take hold those passages of Scripture and hold on to them like anchors in our soul that brings every aspect of who we are in alignment, God, with who you are. We praise you, God. We're gonna worship Him together.